Amen. And so I got the phone call yesterday to uh, preach today. So here we are. And so if I, if I fumble and bumble and mumble a little bit, just be nice to me, please. Sheesh. And uh, I'm going to do my best to communicate Pastor Tim's message, which is a little bit difficult to do, to, to preach somebody else's message. But I'm going to do my best to communicate it today. And um, we are also participating in a weight loss program here at the church. And so I've lost, Jen doesn't, I lost more weight, Jen. I don't know where my wife's at. And I've lost 10 pounds. 10 pounds. Now, you might not think you don't need to lose weight, but I wear these baggy shirts so you don't see my back fat. It's a strategy that men use, and it's slimming down. My, my, my back is slimming down, and uh, so I've lost 10 pounds. I had to go up another belt loop. I can't believe it. Here we go. And um, so we're talking about being emotionally healthy today. So we're going to talk about emotional health. I played football when I was in high school. And there was this guy in my, that was in my class. We grew up together all through school. I went to Fenton School Systems, and we grew up together in the school systems. And this kid's name was Kevin. And Kevin, I can describe Kevin as a, a freak athlete. He, um, he was a man among boys. Uh, he was the strongest guy I've ever met. This is talking in high school. Strongest guy I ever met. He was the fastest guy I'd ever seen. And uh, he just was naturally gifted, especially as a football player. He, in the weight room, his junior year in the weight room, he would take the 45-pound bar and put 45s on each side and curl it. Curl it. That's a lot of weight to curl. And he would do sets of that. And he would then put more plates on the side as he went. Strongest guy ever met. And not only with his strength, he was incredibly fast. And he was, he was tall and he was huge. He was like a mountain of a man and an absolute freak athlete. No fat on his body. It, it would be as if like you would think Goliath would be. This is what this man was like this. This boy was like this. We would be doing football practice and we would run sprints. And Kevin would always be multiple human lengths ahead of everybody. It was crazy, but unfortunately, Kevin always had trouble with his emotions. He, couldn't, he could never finish a full season of football because he would get so emotionally worked up over something in practice or in a game, and he would quit at some point during the season. He was an edge rusher for us. If Kevin would, if Kevin would have just played Junior year and senior year of high school football, he would have easily had Division I scholarships to any school of his choice. I remember in any game, at any point when he really wanted to imply himself, he could sack the quarterback at any time he wanted. There was not a single offensive lineman that could handle him. He was a, he was a beast. But Kevin grew up in an incredibly rough home, in a really intense childhood, and he never will learn how to handle his, his emotions, and never work through his problems, and he would have these raging fits at times during practice and storm off the field and just go home in the middle of practice. And he never could finish out a season. And I don't know what Kevin's doing at this point, but I remember the captains of our football team 
quietly talking to one another and wishing he could just keep his emotions under control and stay on the team because we knew with Kevin we were such a great team, especially on defense. But Kevin always sabotaged himself because he couldn't figure out how to handle his emotions. Kevin was led by his emotions, and it cost him success, and it cost him chances at being successful in life. Let's read today 1 Kings chapter 21. I want to read to you 1 through 16 today, a story about a king who did not handle his emotions well. And a girl by his side who was no help to him either. Starting in verse 1, it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel. So Naboth's a good guy in the story. Let's keep that in mind. Next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth saying, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near next to my house. And for it I will give you a vineyard better than it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give it you its worth in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. So Ahab went into his house sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreel had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down in his bed and turned away his face, and he would not eat food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? He said to her, because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, give me your vineyard for money or else. If it pleases you, I'll give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. This guy's a big baby. Then Jezebel, his wife, said to him, you now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. And she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with, this, with his seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. She wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth with high honor among the people. And seat two men, scoundrels, before him to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him that he may die. So the man of this of his city, the elders and nobles who were inhabitants of his city did as Jezebel had sent to them as was written in the letters which she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth with high honor among the people and two men, scoundrels, came in and sat before him and the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth in the presence of the people saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. Then they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones so that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard, and Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. So it was when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead that Ahab got up and went down to take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Long story short here, we've got King Ahab and his wife Jezebel who are emotional people. You know, it says, uh, when I read this story, I thought of Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. Listen to what Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says. It says, there are six things the Lord hates, no seven things he detests. Let's go through these seven things and see how many of them Ahab and Jezebel did. First thing is, verse 17, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, 
a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. They did all of it. The Lord hates all of that and detests it. And they did every single one of those things. Interesting, isn't it? The evil that they had. I would say this today, that emotions are wonderful servants, but poor leaders. So don't let your emotions lead you. Let your emotions follow your obedience to God, I would say today. Emotions of joy, such as joy and and peace, should follow godly decisions and not the other way around. Make sure your emotions are followers and not leaders. Hmm. You know, Jesus never followed his heart. He followed his heavenly father, didn't he? I mean, so many times Jesus would tell us, I don't do anything until I hear my father tell me to do it. I don't say a thing until I hear my father tell me to say it. He was so in tune with the heavenly father. He only did what the heavenly father wanted him to do. And we can learn a lot from that. You know, the Bible actually says that the heart is wicked and deceitful. Who can know it? Who can know it? I'm always concerned, personally, as a young adults pastor, you know, a pastor here at the church, I get always concerned when people come to me about having make, making a, hey, they have made this huge life decision, and they haven't even prayed about it. They haven't bounced it off counselors. They haven't taken the time to just wait a little bit and see if this is the right decision. They will simply just follow their heart. Interesting. You know, Jesus never followed his heart. I think about when he was in Gethsemane. It says when he was in Gethsemane, his soul was troubled, yet he submitted to his heavenly father. He didn't want to go to the cross. He asked God, Lord, if this cup could pass from me, please. But if not, your will be done. Remember when he said that? The cross, man, he was suffering, yet he prayed forgiveness for others. The very ones that are nailing to the cross are the very ones that he's saving. The very ones that are mocking him are the very ones that he's dying for. He died upon a tree that he created, on a hill that he created before time even began. He died a sinner's death, but he was not a sinner. He died a criminal's death, but he was not a criminal. He welcomed the thief next to him in paradise simply because the thief said, I believe who you said you are. So Jesus responds, well, today you will be with me in paradise. Man, Jesus obviously never followed his heart, and really, neither should we. You know, there are so many toxic emotions that can overcome us and and be horrible leaders in our lives. Toxic emotions are negative emotions that affect, they actually will affect your physical health. They actually will. Things like anxiety, anger, envy, fear, shame, frustration, grief, depression, denial, guilt, and bitterness, these things will actually begin to take a toll on your physical body. Have you ever been dealing with such tensions and grief that you lose your appetite? You don't want to eat. You don't find food interesting. You don't want to even do things that bring you joy because you're ridden with 
guilt or you're feeling fearful or you're, you're, you're just heaviness on your, feels like heaviness. It feels like as if you just can't even stand up at times. It actually begins to affect toxic emotions. It actually begin to affect you. Things like burnout. People talk about burnout all the time, but burnout happens when you pay out huge emotional expenses without replenishing the inner person. I think about Elijah and the Bible. He had this he had a battle with Jezebel. Jezebel is a nasty woman. And her spirit still lives today. But but Elijah had so many run-ins with Jezebel, and he finally had this really intense run-in with Jezebel where she said, I'm I am gonna kill you. I'm gonna hunt you down and I'm gonna kill you. Look at first Kings nineteen, three through four. And when he saw that. He arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life. I am no better than my father's. Man, Elijah became very discouraged after his confrontation with Jezebel. He was emotionally drained. He was physically exhausted, full of self-pity, actually ready to die, suicidal in his language, asking God, just take me now. He was so drained by Jezebel that he actually did not have the strength to defeat her. Another man had to step onto the scene because Elijah was so drained, so burnt out, so physically exhausted from carrying the mantle of prophet that there was another man who had to step on the scene. His name was Jehu. And Jehu took out Jezebel because Elijah was too burnt out to do it. And if you're not careful, you could find yourself in a position in life where your victory could be taken by somebody else because you didn't take care of your emotional health. That you are supposed to rise up in this moment, maybe lead a Bible club at school, or, or, or take a leadership position at a job, or begin to lead a Bible study at your, in your workplace, or you were, you were supposed to do something. You knew the hand of God was upon you to do it, but you were so emotionally exhausted from life that you never stepped up to do it, and another man or another, another woman took that from you. That's what happened with Elijah. I believe Elijah was supposed to take out Jezebel, but he was so burnt out that Jehu stepped in and did it. He walked up to that castle where Jezebel was at, and she was standing up in her porticature way up high in her castle terrace overlooking the city. And Jehu was down on the ground and she was standing up there with her servants. And she must have been a nasty, mean old woman because Jehu looked up at those servants and said, throw her to the ground and let the dogs lick her blood. And they did. They threw her to the ground and killed her. That should have been Elijah's victory. There was a television interview that I saw recently it's a mother of two children was being interviewed about COVID. She was being interviewed about school closures, about how the shelves in her city were empty. And she said, she is exhausted. Are you emotionally exhausted? There's some signs here of being emotionally unhealthy person. The first one is this. You're selfish. There's selfishness. You use people to get ahead. 
verse 2 of 1 Kings that we read, it says, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden. As is Ahab. I mean, I don't know. He could have he could have dug his own. He could have just made a brand new one. He could have gone somewhere else. He could have, he could have, he was selfish. He wanted what, Na, what Naboth had. He wasn't willing to work for it, stuff himself. But Naboth valued his inheritance in the Lord. He refused to sell it. Narcissism. When somebody's narcissist, a narcissist, they're self, they have selfishness. There's an entitlement to them that they, that they walk around with. They have a lack of empathy for people and they, they have a need for admiration. Ahab, King Ahab was a narcissist. The Greek mythology man, Narcissus, was, this is a Greek mythology man. His name was Narcissus, was beautiful, was beautiful to himself. And he rejected all romantic advances because he saw his reflection in a pool of water and spent the remainder of his life staring at himself. <laughs> Weird. But, oh, I, I'm so, I, I'm personally, I'm so attracted to people's spirits, those who are humble, meek and mild, Generous and kind and loving and tender, soft, joyful. These are the kind of people that I physically am attracted to their spirit. I want to be around them. Uh, when, somebody, when I meet somebody like that, I instantly want to follow them. I want to say, what are you doing? I want to come with you. I want to be around you. Let's not be selfish kind of people. Another uh, emotionally unhealthy person is just people who, have, who are moody all the time. Moody in verse 4 it says, So Ahab went, Ahab went into his house sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and he turned away his face and he would not eat. He was sulking. He was angry. He didn't get his way. But maturity determines that if you can manage your emotions... Willingly accept delayed gratification. Put others before yourself and see life through other people's eyes. That's what maturity is. I'll read that to you again. Maturity is, determines if you can manage your emotions. Willingly accept delayed gratification. Put others before yourself and see life through other people's eyes. Your mood swings should never become excessive or interfere with daily living. Your family and friends should know what to expect from you every day. This one could be difficult. This one is difficult for me. Sometimes I, you carry the, the, the course of the day comes home with me. My, my day comes home with me and I'll walk through my, into the doors of my house and the kids are you know, excited to see me and jumping all over me, but I've had maybe a bad day and I'm a bit moody and I actually have to tell myself, do not let your mood affect the home today. You come in, you come in happy. (laughs) You walk into the house with a sense of daddy's home. I'm ready to play. Let's, let's, let's give hugs. Let's be a great dad tonight. But we've got to actually physically tell ourselves sometimes, I choose not to be moody. Right, church? Another unhealthy, emotional type of person is those that lack empathy. Verse 7, Jezebel says this, I will give you the vineyard of Naboth. She 
could care less about Naboth's life, his family, or anybody else that was associated with him as a friend. She completely lacked empathy for him. Ahab and Jezebel refused to see life through other people's eyes. You know what? Jesus is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He empathizes with us. He sympathizes with us. He understands that we get upset or that we get discouraged, that we get depressed, that we get angry. He understands that we are emotional beings and he sympathizes with us and he actually understands the, with feelings, the feelings of our infirmities. My dad said this in his notes that my daughter Charlotte has made him a better man because it's given him greater compassion for people. And I thought about that and I, I, it's the exact same thing for me. Much greater compassion for people, especially those with special needs. Greater compassion for people in general, but especially those people with special needs. You know, when you are, when you can begin to see life through other people's eyes and you kind of, what they say, you know, walk a mile in their shoes, you, under, you can begin to understand people better. And you can actually begin to empathize and sympathize with people. Letter D on, on uh, signs of emotionally unhealthy people is you do not handle conflict with maturity. Ahab and Jezebel lied, schemed, and manipulated the conflict to get their own way. So how do you handle conflict with maturity? I'm going to teach you. This is how you handle conflict with maturity. Love the relationship more than the issue. Second one, give others the benefit of the doubt. Third, be flexible. Stand on principles, but compromise on matters of opinion. Most of your life's disagreements with people are not based upon principles. They're based upon opinions that you have that you are, won't let go of. But in the actual course of life, your opinion about something doesn't matter. It's just your opinion. We, Jen and I like to watch the TV show Survivor. I don't even know if anybody watches Survivor anymore. Do you? It's kind of, I feel a little bit nerdy saying I watch Survivor. Like, you know, you're looking at me like, what? You watch Survivor? That's weird, you know. So, but we do. We like to watch Survivor. And we notice that when these contestants are out <laughs> in, in the wilderness or the jungle, that all their disagreements are based upon pure opinions and no principles whatsoever about actual things that matter. And they'll call, they'll call somebody so annoying. And I'll look at Jen and I'll go, they're not annoying. He just refuses to get along with them. They're not, this lady is not annoying. You're just mean. This guy's just mean. And it's all based upon his, his personal, what did I say? Opinions. If you could put most of your opinions aside, you could be friends with just about every single person. But most of us get so worked up over things that really don't matter. Another way to handle conflict with maturity is don't overreact. 
your response should never be greater than the issue. Another point, don't become defensive. Lastly, seek forgiveness and extend forgiveness. Can we say amen to that? When it comes to my wife and I, whenever we get into arguments, I must say this, that she's usually the person who asks for forgiveness first. But when she, when she asks for forgiveness first, it causes my walls to come down. My defense comes way down when she begins to ask for forgiveness. And I realize that she's asking for forgiveness. That she actually has nothing to ask for forgiveness about. That I was the one who was wrong. That I was the one who overreacted. That I let my opinion about something get in the way of our relationship and get in the way of our love for one another. But yet she's coming to me and asking for forgiveness about walking out of the room and I yelled at her. And I say, no, I'm the one that's sorry. I'm sorry too. I shouldn't have said that. But when you begin to extend forgiveness to people, and, and, and vice versa, and it comes back in return. There is such a relationship, such a fixing of the relationship. Have you ever said you're sorry to somebody and they didn't say sorry back? Don't you feel cheated out on something? I always do. And so even if it's not your fault, I would even say, just say you're sorry too. Oh, I'm sorry too. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have come at you the way I did. I shouldn't have brought it up when I did. I shouldn't have used that tone of voice. I shouldn't have raised my voice. I'm trying to get better. I'm sorry too. Because whenever there's a conflict, typically those two people do have a part to play in it. It's not always just one-sided. But we need to create a culture where forgiveness is extended. Extended on both sides. There was a book I read many years ago. Malcolm Gladwell wrote it. He's a great author. But in this book, he was trying to figure out why certain situations were so different from other situations. This book was called Outliers. And it was all these stories of why certain planes crashed when others didn't. Certain civilizations lived a really long time when others didn't. And did you know that in early America, there was a, a, a group of, of uh, Europeans living in the mountains of Pennsylvania that was living well into their 90s and even a, well into their 100s. While everybody else in America at the time was dying in their 60s and 70s. And somebody wanted to figure out why this community was living so long when everybody else was, was dying 20, 30, even 40 years younger than them. And so they went to this community and they, and they looked at their, their, health, their health habits, the food they ate, how they treated their bodies. And they found out that they had absolute horrible diets full of fat and sugar. And most of every single person in, chain, in, in the community, including the women, were chain smokers. And they're like, this is crazy. This is weird. This is, uh, we thought we'd figure out that they are somehow living in the mountains of, of Pennsylvania, that they were like eating healthy and living healthy, and it was causing them to live a long time. And it totally destroyed their idea initially of why they thought this community was living so long. And then they started to look at their their day, how they lived out their day. And did you know every single person in that community on their way to work would stop off to at least three to five houses and say good morning to somebody sitting on their front porch? 
and they would talk to people and they would interact with people. And they found out that when somebody was in need in the community, maybe the father of the household died and there was a widow, that the community would step in and completely take care of the mother and children. And there there was a sense of peace and calmness amongst the community knowing that they were going to take care of each other extend forgiveness to each other, that they valued relationships more than anything else, and it caused their heart to be so healthy that they actually lived a long time. That was what the outlier was. And that was very rare and still is rare today to have a community like that. But I believe Cornerstone Church is that community and can become that community, and we can get there, church. Right, church? Last one here on what it means to really a person who's emotionally unhealthy is they have a very difficult time breaking the power of the past. And I want to invite my wife up at this time because she grew up in a home where her father and mother were first-generation Christians. And she's thankfully, like myself, a second-generation Christian. But I know her father and her mother had to go, had to go, come on in close. Her mother and her father had to go through a battle to break the power of the past in order to serve the Lord. So thankful for my parents and the example that they've set. But um, I was recently talking with my dad, and I've heard bits and pieces of his upbringing and his testimony. But even last night, just talking with him over the phone, he, he gave me permission to just share these things with you as a testimony to the goodness of the Lord and what he pulled my dad out of. My dad, he was born into a family um, where they were really blessed. Um, His father was in oil. He remembers living in the valley. His sisters drove awesome cars. They had horses, a beautiful home. But unfortunately, his father had an issue with alcohol. And the alcoholism led to divorce. And my dad remembers at a young age having to step up in his family to be the man of the house. He had two other brothers that didn't really help support as he hoped they would, and two sisters that looked to him to be the man of the house. And he remembers as a young boy, 12, 13 years old, sitting at the kitchen counter with his mom and helping to write checks and pay the bills. And even as a young boy, he said his responsibilities, he cleaned the house He would go with his mom to the laundromat and help with laundry. And, you know, he had hopes for his life, but he was in a hopeless family (laughs) because of alcoholism and because of divorce. He didn't have support that he wanted to move forward. And he felt trapped in his family because he had taken on the role to care for his mother, to care for his family. He even remembers getting jobs in junior high and high school, and he would buy his sister a bicycle. He would provide things for his siblings because his father wasn't there to do so. And when he was 14, he had already lost his father in the divorce, but his his father passed away because of his alcoholism at 14 years old. That same year, he lost his grandmother and his grandfather. And so my dad was just surrounded by tragedy and a lack of support where he was in this role that he, he never wanted to be, never asked to be. And so, but at a young age, the same grandmother that had passed away when he was 14, this grandmother told him as a young boy, you know, I've prayed over the family 
And I believe you're going to be a man of God and you're going to be a minister of the gospel that God's going to raise you up. And as a young boy, my dad heard that and held on to it in his heart. But as he looked all around him, he just didn't see <laughs> how is this going to happen in the natural. It's, it's not stacked in my favor. Well, the Lord just continued to carry my dad and not only that word from his grandma, but the Lord continued to speak to him as a junior high student and even into high school. But my dad was just having difficulty breaking away from the family. At one point in high school, he was the president of his uh, student council, and he was doing really great in debate and speech, and so much so where he was given a scholarship to go to a college um, of his dreams and could later possibly lead to um, other ambitions that he had. But as he was graduating high school, his uncle came down with cancer. His uncle moved home, his mom. So my grandmother needed my dad to stay home to help care for his uncle. So again, these opportunities that he wanted, that he hoped to just escape from his family, it's like he kept getting pulled back. And not only did he have the, the weight of what his father had done and the weight that he felt from his mother to care for her and his siblings, but my, my uh, uncle... So my dad's brother, they loved rock and roll music. (laughs) They loved rock and roll music. And my dad was the lead guitarist of their band. And the name of their band was Earth. (laughs) And they, they got really good. They got really good in high school. My dad said that they were playing gigs all the time. And they were playing in bars and nightclubs, you know, where there was alcohol. And there was uh, just a lot of success and a lot of fame. And his brother was really excited with, with where the band was headed. And it even got to the point where they were asked to go out to LA and maybe go on tour. And there was one night my dad remembers being in this concert setting and they're rocking out and he's jamming and him and his brother are going for it along with their other uh, band member. And my dad remembers looking out into the crowd and, and here he is as a, as, a, as a man. He still held on to the, the promises or the things that God had spoken to his heart along the way. He said he looked out in the crowd And he said he saw all these young people rushing forward with their hands lifted up, almost like a sign of like worship as they were playing music and rocking. And my dad said that his heart was immediately grieved and convicted because he realized that he was loving that attention and that fame and that God had called him to something else. And he told his brother that night, I can't, I can't move forward with the band. I can't keep doing this. And his brother was so upset with him, even to this day. So many years later, there's, there's a fracture in their relationship. So my, my dad even had to cut ties from his brother, who he loved and respected. But he just knew that, that God had something better. Well, later on in his life, uh, he, he met my mom. Actually, in high school, they were high school sweethearts. And... They began to date, and they went off to college together, and they start to get more serious in their relationship. And as they're getting more serious, my aunt, so my dad's older sister, goes to my mom, and she looks him in the eye. Or she, she looks my mom in the eye, and she says, you know what? You don't, you don't want to get close to Danny, my, my dad's name. You don't want to get close to him. Hedges men, all they do is they end their marriages in divorce. Don't, don't marry my brother. And my mom, in the moment when she heard his sister say that to him, she kind of just brushed it off. It didn't affect my mom, but it really affected my dad. And it put a lot of fear in him. So much so where he told my mom, let's stop dating. Let's step back a little bit. 
And just the, the past that was weighing heavily on him, he just had a hard time stepping out of that and moving forward with hope. Well, God did a lot of work in his heart over the next few months. He went on a mission trip to Japan where God just got a hold of him and spoke to him. And my dad realized, man, I have a real opportunity with, with Ginger, my mom, to, to move forward. And God has given me a great gift through this woman. And it doesn't have to be like how it was for my family. And so my dad went to my mom and asked her to forgive him and move forward and that he loved her. And they began to get serious again and move towards engagement. My dad says he remembers picking up the phone and, and calling my mom or his mom, my grandma, and telling her over the phone, listen, I love Ginger. We're going to get married. We're going to have a happy life. And I need you to leave me alone. <laughs> he had to draw that line in the sand between the weight of his family. You know, I think part of the reason my aunt said that to my mom is she wanted my dad to still be that role in her life to care for them. But he had to create that boundary, draw that line to move forward. And he said that he needed God to give him a vision for what could be. He needed to have a vision for a healthy family. And the Lord had to do a work in his heart. And over, over time, you know, the Lord just restored his relationship with his mother. And um, even to this day, uh, he has a, a relationship with that aunt that said that, where he visits her and even helps take care of her as she's aged. But the Lord delivered my dad from that past. He delivered my dad from a family where there was brokenness, no support. But the Lord healed his heart, gave him a vision for what could happen. And I thank the Lord for their marriage that has been an example now for me and my husband of as you serve and you love the Lord and as you're faithful to each other, he'll care for you and your family. And so what an incredible testimony as I just love to hear from my dad and it inspires me and I just pray it encourages you that you may come from a past uh, that you want to just draw a line in from the sand and move forward and the Lord can help you do that. His grace is sufficient. Amen. So we can struggle to follow God because we feel our past pulling at us pulling at us. We'll feel the enemy tell us, no, 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 you're, you, you can't do that. You're just a, 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 a sinner. You look at how your, your life lived all these years. You can't be a leader in the church. You can't make a difference for the kingdom of God. You can't step up. Everybody thinks you're just a child. Everybody thinks you're the, you're the baby of the family. You couldn't possibly amount to anything. Nobody respects you. You're just a joke to everybody around you. We feel the enemy tell us these things over and over again. And if we listen to the enemy, we will, we will fail. We will not step out. We will not lead. We will not take the mantle that God has. As for us, Ahab's father was evil and Ahab was evil. You know, do you have character flaws? Do you have insecurity issues? You know, the iniquities of your parents do not have to be passed down to you. Isn't that great? You don't have to carry their mistakes into your life. Let's bow our heads and pray today. Oh, Lord God, we need you in this place. And Lord God, I pray that as 2022 is starting off, Lord God, there has already been opportunities to get emotionally exhausted, to become discouraged, even despaired, crushed, angry, bitter, holding back forgiveness even at times, Lord God. We've already had all these opportunities presented to us, but Lord God, today we say, oh no, 
No, no, no. I'm not going to let the enemy drag me down. I serve a good, good father who's never failed me, who's sovereign, Lord over all, who's guiding my life. He's got good plans for me. He's called me the head and not the tail. He's called me the lender and not the borrower. He's called me to be the, to be the leader and not the follower. I know what my name is and I know what my daddy calls me. I stand forgiven, righteous, confident, and ready to go because of my Jesus. So Lord God, I pray that 2022 would be different for some of us, that we would let go of the past. Lord God, that we would begin to move forward and begin to take what the Lord has for us. With every head bowed and every eye closed to give the opportunity for salvation. If there's anybody here today who's not walking with God, you're, you're, you're not walking with God, you're not walking out the Christian lifestyle, you're struggling with addictions and sins and anger issues and you're struggling with your life and you're trying to make all these decisions on your own, you're trying to do it all on your own, you've, you've been even angry at God at times. Well, you need to give your life to God. You need to submit everything over to him. You need to say, God, I've ruined it all on my own. I give you my life. I follow your ways. I listen to your voice. I, I will follow you, God, from this day forward. I'm ready. If there's anybody here today who needs to give their life over to God and believe upon Jesus, I would love to just pray with you. A quick prayer, but a powerful one that will change your eternity. So if you're here this morning, you say, that's me, Pastor Lucas. Pray for me. I want to give my life to God right now. Could you please, right this moment, raise your hand up into the air and let me know who you are. Raise your hand right up into the air. Let me see your hand. Well, Heavenly Father, Lord God, we pray right now, Lord God, one more time for our church. Lord, I thank you that you poured out a spirit of joy in this place, a spirit of victory in this place during worship. And Lord God, I pray that we would carry that throughout the rest of our day into our week, Lord God. I pray that you continue to pour out your spirit and your presence in this place. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Are we got some, we got a baptism, two baptisms today? That's right, we got two baptisms today.